today. Um, this title, I mean, I, I, I've made the title, The Best in Me is Yet to Be. I want you just to say that with me. The best in me is yet to be. And I want you to say it like you really believe it. The best in me is yet to be. Amen. If you will, turn in your Bibles, however you got it, if you have it on a, on a phone or a computer or iPad or if you have a paper Bible, however you do it, it'll also be on the LED screens behind me. Judges chapter 3, verse 12 through 22, we're kind of going verse by verse. Next week, you don't want to miss, I'm going to zero in on Jael, uh, probably very seldomly preached person in the Bible. In fact, I've never heard a message on her. I'd love to do that, and there's a lot to gain from her and what we're going to learn next week in Mother's Day. We have some gifts for all the ladies, but Judges chapter 3, verse 12 through 22, and if you will stand one more time for the reading of God's Word, and then, we'll, and then you'll be seated. Judges chapter 3, verse 12 through 22, this is following on the heels of Othniel we preached last week. When he dies, we pick up in verse 12. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered to himself the sons of Ammon and Amalek. And he went and defeated Israel, and they possessed the city of the palm trees. The sons of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ahud. Everybody say Ahud. Ahud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And the sons of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. I want to pull notice to a left-handed man. Everybody say a left-handed man. There's a reason that this is in the Bible. Everything is in the Bible for a reason. And this, that, that, that phrase there, what he's saying, what God's going to teach us is key to this whole passage. Ahud made himself a sword which had two edges, a cubit in length, about 18 inches, and he bound it on his right thigh under his cloak. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. It came about when he had finished presenting the tribute that he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the idols which were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silence. And all who attended him left him. Ahud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ahud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. Ahud stretched out his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into the belly, into his belly. The handle also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the sword out of his belly, and the refuse came out. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your presence. I thank you for a wonderful gift that you have given our church in Megan Blanton, our kids' pastor. I thank you for the precious people of our church, and now, God, I pray, and I thank you for your precious word. I pray, God, let this seed fall in the good soul of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. Anoint me to preach your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. Father God, I pray now you speak to us. Let it be planted. Let it grow. Let our lives be transformed by your word. In Christ's name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have, and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace... I'm going to be a doer of your word 
and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High, high five, two or three people as you're being seated. And don't forget, these are on version. You can check out version. I, I think of Ehud and I think of, I think of a Cinderella story. I, I think about a person that, that beats all odds. You know, a story comes to mind. The U.S. team, composed of young collegiate players and amateurs, entered the competition seated seventh in the final round of 12 teams. They qualified for the Lake Placid Olympics. The Soviet Union was far and away the favored team. Though classified as amateurs, several of the players, most of the Soviet team were actually professionals, but the Soviet Union and Gorbachev himself classified them as giving them different titles so they could be considered amateurs. They played in a well-developed league. They had excellent training facilities. They were pros from start to finish, and they were the elite of the world. As a matter of fact, the Soviet club went 5-3-1 five and, three, five, three and one that year against the NHL, the National Hockey League teams. As a matter of fact, earlier, the year before, the Soviet national team beat the NHL, the National Hockey League all-star team, 6-0 in the Challenge Cup. I mean, they whipped them good as can be. The best players in the NHL, they just whipped them from top to finish. Well, in 1979-1980, virtually all North American players were from Canada. So the U.S. team having to go up against the Soviets was like a David and Goliath. It was a mismatch. It was destined to doom from, from before they ever got on the ice. Added to that problem was that on February 9th, the two teams met for an exhibition match. Madison Square Garden and the Soviets beat them 10 to 3. That's like, that's like a massacre in hockey. It would be like 10 to 3 in baseball. It's a, it's a whitewash. To add to the intensity of this match, the North American team and the Soviet team were bitter rivals because of the decades-long Cold War. Many of you are old enough to remember that. In addition, President Jimmy Carter was at the time considering a boycott, if you remember, those of you old enough, the 1980 Summer Olympics in Moscow. As a matter of fact, why? Because he was standing up against them, the Soviets' uh, invasion of Afghanistan. <laughs> What's weird about that whole thing is it was the Americans that gave the Afghans the weapons to fight the Russians, which put the weapons in their hands and they decided to become terrorists. So the very weapons that are being used to kill Americans now were given to them back then to beat the Soviets. So be careful who you give weapons to. Amen? President Carter actually did boycott the Olympics in 1980. Decided on that. Well, the game started and it was a tight match. About 10 minutes to go in the match. The U.S. scored a goal to go up 4-3. to three. They held that lead all the way into the final minute. With seconds remaining, the crowd began to count down the seconds left. Sportscaster... Al Michaels, who was calling the game on ABC with former Montreal Canadiens goalie Ken Dryden, picked up on the countdown in his broadcast. You can YouTube this at any time you want, and then delivered his famous call. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. 
The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to silk. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. Unbelievable. And the crowd went bananas. It became known as the miracle on ice. And as a matter of fact, it was voted the greatest sports moment of the 20th century by the Sports Illustrated. Why? Because David beat Goliath. A bunch of college amateurs had no reason to be in the same arena as the great mighty Soviets, but yet, like Rocky Balboa and the Russian boxer in Rocky IV, they found somehow a way to win. Well, I believe in miracles because I've read this story about Ahud and many others. And that leads me to point number one, and that is this. God picks the least likely. Everybody say, God picks the least likely. I'm going to flesh this out for you because i got a word for you today. So Israel was delivered by Othniel. They served God while Othniel was alive. They lived for him. Things were going well. Well, Othniel dies, and they sin again against God. In times of desperation, they served God. They lived for God when they had a good leader. Then he dies, and all of a sudden, they turn their back on God when things are good, and they go the wrong way. Well, God says, well, I know how to get your attention. So he raises up an oppressor, a man named Eglon of Moab. And he says, I'm going to let him oppress you for a while so that you'll remember that you need me. And I want to tell you, God will do that in our lives. God will allow oppression and problems to come up to get our attention. How many know what I'm talking about? It's why so many times when people turn their back on God, everything goes wrong. And then they run back to the church house. But then when everything goes right, you quit seeing them again. And it's like, you know, sometimes human nature, we just need some problems in our life. The Moabites were closer to home than the last oppressors, which made the attack on Israel that much worse. And I want to tell you, any time that we turn back willfully to sin in our lives, it will be worse and worse on us each and every time. It'll cause greater harm each time. This time, they took the city of palm trees, which was by the old Jericho site. They defeated the Israelites, they took the city, and basically they ransacked and dominated Israel. So by verse 14, the Bible says that Israel served this pagan king for 18 years. The word serve there means to, uh, like a slave, it means worker, it means labor. So watch this, they were working for God, they were serving God, but now their willful sin has turned them against God. And so now their labors, their work, their servitude is now going to the enemy. Listen loud and clear. That's what sin will do for your life. I don't know who's in here today that needs to hear this. But I know that God has impressed this deeply into my spirit. Their sin had given them a new master now. Watch this. All their fruits... All their labors, all of their uh, possessions, all their money, everything they had, watch this, now went to a pagan evil king who would never do anything for them but take from them, stomp on them, destroy them, ransack their life. See, sin will cause you to take from God and give to the enemy. What rightfully belonged to God, who, watch this, would bless them and love them and take care of them, 
Their sin has now caused them to give it to a king and an evil person who wants nothing but the death of them. They meant nothing to him. Do you know that there is always consequences for sin in our lives? The first time they were in servitude for eight years. They turned their back on God this time and now it's 18 years. I want you to hear this. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll cost you more than you want to pay and it'll, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. I don't know who needs to hear this, but walk away as fast as you can from willful sin. Someone say a good amen to that. We need to repent of our sins, folks. In fact, we need good old-fashioned repentance preaching. Is that all right? If you've been following along with the Bible reading, you found just a couple days ago this scripture. This really jumped off at me. Jesus tells us what we should be preaching. Luke 24 and verse 46 through 47, Jesus is about to ascend. He's already raised from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven. And Jesus, he told them, that's Jesus... This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Watch verse 47 closely. And repentance. Everybody say, and repentance. And repentance. Watch this. For the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus said, we are to preach repentance. Well, I want to tell you about half the churches in America violate the very thing Jesus said preach. We're so concerned to getting people in the door and feeling comfortable in their sin. We're not supposed to have people come in the doors and feel comfortable in their sickness. Is it all right if I preach for just a little while? Some people say, well, pastor, the church is a hospital. I mean, it's a hospital for the sick. Yes, but like a hospital, the church is there to help the sick get better. No one goes to a hospital and says, well, I don't think I'll take the surgery or the medicine, but, you know, I kind of like to hang out in my sickness right here. No doctor would let them stay. No hospital administrator would let them stay. The nurses would say, pack your bags and get out. We're here to help you. If you don't want help getting better, you need to leave. What we've got a misconception in the church today is we want to give a greasy grace message that says, well, Jesus just loves everybody and just come as you are. And I hear that and I'm with you. But we should want to repent and get better. Well, pastor, everyone should be allowed to come as they are. Yes, come as you are. However, come with an attitude expecting a scalpel. Because when people go to a hospital, they go to get fixed. When people are in a hospital, if you've been there any length of time and I visit you or anybody does, I don't know how many times I hear from every single person, I'm ready to go what? The problem that we have in the church in America today is we want people to feel good in their sin when what we need to be doing as a church is helping them get better. Is this all right today to preach this? Come as you are, yes, but with a heart to cut sin out. I want to tell you that when you get involved in sin, it will destroy your life. We've got to get it out. You will pay the piper, if you will. People take from God and they give to the enemy all the time and it's because of willful sin. I want to tell you something. I will not ever back down from preaching this as long as God has me preach. We need to repent, which means turn our back on sin and turn to God. Someone say a good amen. 
Here Israel's got it backwards and they find themselves in a world of hurt. So by verse 15, though, Israel realizes finally they come to their senses. And the Bible says that Israel cries out. Now, the word cries, you'll see on the screen here, means to shrink from anguish or danger. To cry out spontaneously. When was the last time you cried out to God in desperation? When was the last time you got down on your knees and you said, Oh, God! Oh, God, you got to save my kids. God, you got to save my parents. God, you got to do something with my, with, with my neighbor, God. You got to do something with my loved one. God, we need you. When was the last time you just cried out and pounded the floor and said, God, we need you to come through? God, we're desperate. I mean, man be pamby, 22nd now I lay me down to sleep, prayers ain't getting it, folks. At some point, we've got to have enough of being sick and tired of our situation to say, I'm done with this. God, I need you to come through. Oh, God, you've got to do it. There's no other way. I've tried every other way. I've tried to fix it myself. It's not working. We need you. Maybe God is waiting on you to cry out to him before he fixes the situation. But I find something interesting here. When they did cry out to God in desperation, God said, okay, I'll send a deliverer. His immediate response is, I'm going to get you out of your problem. Well, I love that. That's how good God is. God always has deliverers for those that want them. He always has a Moses in waiting. He always has an Elijah. He always has an Elisha, a Joseph, a Joshua. He always has an Ehud. He always has somebody. In this case, he had an Ehud. Everybody shout Ehud. Ehud means united. I love this. When the children of Israel were fragmented, when the children of Israel were loose everywhere, when they were divided, when they didn't know what to do, God said, I got a man that's going to unite you. I got a man that's going to pull you together and he's going to lead you out of the problem that you're in. When you're fragmented in your marriage, God will send someone to unite that marriage. When you're fragmented in your finances, God will send somebody to pull that finances together and get it going in the the right direction. When a church is fragmented, God will bring somebody to unite it. When a family's yet fragmented, God will bring somebody to unite it. It's how bad do we want it? God always unites, the devil always divides. Interestingly enough, the united man is the son of Gira, and the son of Gira means grain. Everybody say grain. I love this. It's a seed. It's a grain. Not not plural, singular. One little grain. Pastor, what can my one little act of kindness do? What could my one little act of kindness actually produce? Well, as unto God, it could produce a deliverer. It could produce your deliverer. It could produce your Ehud. It could produce your answer to your prayer. I'm coming to preach to somebody. Don't let the devil tell you why one little thing ain't going to matter or make a difference. Well, pastor, it's just one little service and one little ministry. What is my helping going to make a difference? What is it going to do? I tell you what, it could be the very thing that raises up an Ehud or a deliverer in your life. You may think, well, pastor, it's just one little offering. It's just one little 
will tithe. What could that possibly matter? It may be the Ehud to rise up and bring deliverance. You cannot look at what you do and what God calls you to as something that says, well, God, you know, I don't really, uh, you know, I can't make a difference. Who am I? I'm nobody. I have nothing to offer. Listen, one man had one grain. He had one son, Ehud, who wound up delivering the entire nation. Who do you know that you might not witness to? Ehud was from the tribe of Benjamin. Historically at this time, the tribe of Benjamin was the weakest of Israel. So Moab attacks Israel where they are the weakest. Isn't that the way the devil works in our life? He doesn't attack your strong areas. He attacks where you're weak. So if you have a problem with the sins of the tongue, he'll put you in a place where you are so tempted and lured to lie, gossip, slander. If you have a gossiping problem and a slandering problem, he'll put you in front of that computer screen with that keyboard on social media and let you type away from the safety of your living room while you down everybody around you. If you have a problem with pornography, he's going to let you flip through the channels and hit that channel just at the right time when that scantily looking lady is seductively walking towards that man. And all of a sudden, man, you're a lord right in. Or you'll be reading an article on the internet and there's a little ad over here to the side of a scantily dressed person. Oh, the devil knows just how to get your weakness. If you have a problem with drunkenness, he'll make sure he puts you in a socially acceptable place where you can have alcohol on the grip of your fingers. I'll come to preach to somebody today. He will make sure that he puts you at your weakest point so that he can do his damage. But I got news for you. God picks the least likely. And because he picks the least likely, the best in me is yet to be. Everybody say that with me. The best in me is yet to be. So God not only picks the least likely, point number two is this, God works through the least likely. God picks the least likely. You know, you know, you know if there's an odd number of kids and you're playing basketball, you know the least likely kid is always the one that sits that game out. Well, you know, he can't play anyway, so you know, we ain't, we ain't picking him. You know, when we were in grade school, it was like, you know, you'd pick the girl over him. That's who I'm talking about. God picks the least likely. God also works through the least likely. Ehud was the left-handed man. Why is that in the Bible? When you study this out, this is, this is going to explode in you. Left-handed here is a Hebrew word which means bound, impeded on the right, shut, shut up. Or shut of his right hand. In other words, he was a right-handed man that some kind of illness or accident or handicap happened so that now it's forced him to become a left-handed. So he has lost the use of his dominant hand. Now he has to learn to do life left-handed. This is not merely the Bible mentioning, oh, by the way, he's left-handed. The Bible never does that. There's in there for a reason. So whether it was disease whether it was disuse, whether it was a handicap, made his right hand no use, which made him the weakest warrior. So watch this. You have the weakest tribe in Israel, and now you have the weakest man in Israel. God picked the lily-limped, weaselist, know-nothing guy to say, you look like a deliverer to me. 
He picked the weakest warrior from the weakest tribe in Israel. I'm going to preach to somebody today. Here's what I got to tell you. God's bigger than your disability. Somebody in here needs to hear this. You've been elevating your disability above God for years. And God says, when are you going to understand I'm bigger than your disability? When are you going to understand I'm bigger than what you can't do? What you're incapable of? Where you're not talented? I want to tell you, man, I'm preaching to somebody today. God is saying it's high time that we quit yielding and leaning on our disabilities and what we can't do. And just say, well, here I am, God. I may be the weakest in all of it, but if you can use somebody, here I am, Lord. Send me. God is bigger than your disability. Moses said, I can't even talk right. Jeremiah and Timothy said, you got the wrong guy. I'm too young. Here he is, a left-handed man because his right hand, something's happened to it. Listen, God decided to choose this left-handed man by default to be the man of his right hand. (laughs) God's right hand gave the victory, not the instrument he used. It was like God was saying, I'm going to deliver all of Israel and I'm going to pick you because you'll never take the credit because we all know you couldn't do it. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. When we pray for somebody to be saved and they actually get saved, don't even think it was you. You were just a tool in the hands of God's right hand. Man. You pray for somebody to be healed and they get healed. It was not you. You're just the instrument. You are the instrument in the hands of God. You see, you pray and you see a miracle. It was not you. It was you in the hands of the right hand of God. Listen to me loud and clear. Because God's getting ready to open our Rehoboth. And when he does, everyone needs to know. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. It wasn't any of us. We were an instrument and a tool in the hands of God's right hand. When we walk into our beautiful facility, wherever it is, and whatever it's going to look like, we'll all go, look what God did. Hallelujah. We got way too many people so focused on their disabilities, and God is saying, man, I don't, listen, I can work beyond that. I can take your handicap and use it for the glory of God. So Ahud shows up. He's got an entourage with him, and he brings a present to the king. Now, the word there that you read is tribute. Everybody say tribute. Uh, it was an offering. It was a, it, as a matter of fact, it's called a mincha. And in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it was used in the law for offerings that were presented to God to obtain favor. So now sin has caused them to seek the favor of a man rather than the favor of God. Now, instead of offering what belonged to God, they're offering it to a pagan evil king who wants nothing good for them. They are looking for answers from man rather than God. You know, people do it today all the time. They take God's tithe and they give it to the horse track in the casino. Let me tell you something about casinos. My dad used to tell me, and he was a professional gambler. He'd say, son... If you could beat them, they wouldn't be there. Let me just let that sink in for a minute. Maybe somebody online is watching me that's a gambler. If you could beat a casino, they wouldn't be there. You can't win. People take God's offering and they give it to the bars. People take what belongs to God and they give it to drug dealers and prostitutes. 
I want to tell you it's high time that we as the body of Christ take what belongs to God and give it to God. And let God bless us. Because the drug dealer ain't going to bless you. The prostitute ain't going to bless you. The casino ain't going to bless you. I want to tell you about who will bless you is God Almighty. We need to take what belongs to Him and use it for the glory of God. Is this all right to preach this way anymore? Does anybody want to hear preaching like this anymore? When you have problems in life, where do you turn? Do you turn to man or God? When you have problems in your marital issues, do you turn to man or God? When you have problems in your finances, do you turn to man or God? They ran to Eglon. Eglon, meaning little calf, was a successor of Balak. He's the guy that followed Balak who hired Balaam to curse Israel. This guy wants nothing good for Israel. Now, Ahad, Ahud, is not a threat to the king. You have to understand the history here. He is handicapped, and one thing you know when you study this story, at this time in history, a warrior was never allowed in front of the king. He would have never got through the palace gates, let alone to stand before a king. In other words, they didn't view Ahud as a threat. Only a weak, meaningless, worthless nobody could stand before the king. And I want to tell you something. The devil thought you were a weak, meaningless, worthless nobody. He's tried to beat you down. He thought he had you wrapped up in sin and couldn't make a difference. But he forgot about the God factor. My blessed Lord. He forgot when you gave your life to him, you became a son or a daughter of Jesus, of God Almighty. You became a brother of Christ. You became a, ch- a child of the living God. He forgot you were filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I know you're weak. I know you're weak. I, I get that. But the devil forgot 2 Corinthians 12, 9 that says his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Oh, I understand, but the devil forgot, Philippians 4, 13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Satan must have forgot, Matthew 26 and 3, 19, 19 and 26 rather, that says with God all things are possible to him who believes. The devil must have forgot that God, Jesus, we already have the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. He must have forgot, Romans 8, 37, that says I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, my Lord, can somebody say amen? amen? I know he must have forgot Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. I want to tell you something. If we'll get our eyes back on the Lord, if we'll go back to him, God will fix our nation. God will unite our nation. God will end racism and all this other junk. God will put us back together again. God will bring revival if we'll just get our eyes back on the Lord. The devil must have forgot that God works through the least likely. (laughs) I've told you before, some of you are new. First family funeral I did was my grandfather's. I had cousins come around me. One of my cousins, he's doing like this. He said, well, it's official. I said, what's official? He said, you're a preacher. I said, okay. He said, they told us you was a preacher. We said, no, not Dallas. No way. But we've seen it for our own eyes. I guess it's official. God really can't pick anybody. (laughs) That was my family. Number one was God picks the least likely. 
Number two, God will work through the least likely. Point number three, God gives victory through the least likely. I mean, you heard for yourself, the staff voted me the least holy. <laughs> Ahud had a plan. He made a dagger. I find it interesting. It was a two-edged sword. Where have I heard two-edged sword before? Oh, I know. Hebrews 4.15. The word of God is like a two-edged sword. Piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So watch this. We read the story in the natural, but what's the spiritual implication? He makes a two-edged sword 18 inches long, and he straps it to his right thigh. Now, this is, to you, it's going to look left, but this is my right thigh. So for you, well, this is my left thigh, but we're going to make it look right to you. So he straps it to his right thigh. Watch this. Ahud hid his plan from his enemy and from people around him. Why? Because he didn't want people telling him, oh, you'll never do that. You can't do that. He shows up. Eglon is a very fat man that is speaking spiritually of someone who's spiritually obese. Now, he is physically obese, but he is spiritually. Anytime you see that, they're, they, they've lost their... They, they, anytime you, like Eli in the Bible was, it was considered to be very fat. It was, they, he lost his spiritual fervor to do anything with God's word. In verse 18, they deliver this offering to the pagan king. Watch this. You, this is going to be good. And Ahud takes everybody and walks away. Somewhere in the process, he lost heart. He got discouraged. Doubt set in. Ooh, I can't do this. So he left. Have, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever had God tell you to do something and it sounds good until you step out and it's time to pull the trigger and then it don't feel so good anymore? How many of those I'm talking about? Have you ever been there before? It seemed like a good idea until you faced the devil and like a runaway bride, Ahud makes a run for it. And sometimes so do we. But as he's running and he's probably beating himself up, man, I had it, I stood before him, I could have done it. The Bible says something very interesting. The Bible says that as he's walking along, he gets to Gilgal and he sees the stone idols. Now, historically at this time, this was a place of really awful, nasty, pagan idol worship. And these are idols that he sees set up out in the open in the face of God. And I believe when he sees that, something comes over him. I believe he gets irate at the open sin that he sees. I believe that he looks and sees idol worship in the face of a holy God. And it pushes him past his fears. As a matter of fact, I think his anger rose when he saw that. And he said, man, somebody's got to do something about this. And maybe perhaps God said, well, you're somebody. The justice inside of him was inflamed. The justice inside of him said, how dare you put this out in the open in front of my God. And I believe it pushed fear out of the way and he said, man, I'm going to do something. What causes you anger? What, what causes your anger, watch this, for God and for God's character? What causes you to pound the table and say, somebody's got to do something? Well, you're somebody. I'm somebody. For me, abortion makes me pound the table and say, Dear God, somebody's got to do something. There used to be an abortion clinic right by our office. And every morning I would stop at the light and I would say, God, close that awful place down. 
Father, when they pull their tires on there, I pray give them a spooky feeling, whatever. Let them turn the car around and leave. I promise you within a few months, there was a for sale sign on that. They still can't sell the property. I prayed the abortion clinic out. Somewhere along the way, something's got to rise up in us of what's going on in America and say, if I can only pray, then bless God, I'm going to pray, but somebody's got to do something about the nasty sin in our country. Is it all right to be passionate for God? Is it all right to say, this is an affront to God. This is what he did. This is an affront to God. I got to do something here. And I believe that was it. It set on his mind. He said, I'm going to do something if it kills me. And I believe as he walked back to that palace, he thought within himself, I don't care if it kills me. I've got to fight for the character of God. And he gets back in verse 20 and he says, I've got a secret errand. Well, the, the king's like, whoa, everybody, silence. Don't say nothing. I don't want them to hear. Everybody get out. Get out. Get out. Me and this little guy. Listen, no king in his right mind would ever even think to have a warrior stand in front of him, let alone alone. He takes him up to the cool parlor upstairs where it was cool in the summertime. Hey, just me and you, buddy. This king is so unafraid of this guy. I mean, he's like, this little weasel couldn't do nothing to nobody. Come on, man, tell me what's going on. I mean, that's the attitude. He says, watch this. He says, I have a message from God. Watch what Eglon does. Sometimes sinners have more respect for God's word than Christians do. The Bible says Eglon stood up. What does God have to say? And then the Bible says in the next verse, watch this, this is important. He takes his left hand and his sword was strapped to his right hip. Pulls it out and he kills Eglon. Why is this important? Watch this. Because all the warriors were right-handed. So when they would get the pat down, like you see on TV, they would only pat the left side. Because warriors were right-handed and they could pull the sword from the right, from the left hip. Well, he had a handicap in his right hand. I'm going somewhere with this. So he was able to hide the sword in plain sight because he was left-handed because of his impediment with his right hand. So he could sneak it past the guards and have it in sight. He executes the king. Why? Because he was left-handed for some issue they wouldn't check. So watch this. What you see as your handicap, and what you see as your disability is the very thing God will use to bring you victory and win your wars. How many days did Ahud think, why did this happen to me, God? Why did I get dealt diabetes? Why did I get the cancer diagnosis? Why did I get the, the I'm not smart in school. Why was that me, God? Why am I left-handed? And who knows, for years, he probably almost cursed it. I can't believe you, dummy. You're just left-handed. You can't even use your dominant hand. How are you going to do this? And it was the very thing God said, I'll tell you what, I'll use the thing that you hate so bad in your life, and I'll use it for victory. I'll take your disability. I'll take your handicap. I'll take what nobody else needs. You're a weak, no, meaningless nobody to that king and everybody else. They're so unafraid of you that you can stand before the king. But I'll use the very thing that you hate in your life and I'll use it for your victory that's good preaching right there the very thing that you think makes you weak and unable 
is the very thing God says, I'm going to use that to bring victory and win your war. Why? Because then you'll give God the glory. You know you didn't do it. Woo! Somebody say amen. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. Verse 22 is very important, and I want everyone to zone in there. If you've got your Bibles open, I want you to see. The Bible says that the sword went in, handle and all, and because he was so fat, he couldn't put the sword back out. Now, we see that in the natural, so he must have been a very large man, and so 18 inches in with the halt and the hilt and everything else is all in there, and he can't get it back out. But I want you to flip this over to the spiritual side of things. Just as the fat closed over that sword and the natural and couldn't come out. Listen, when you put the two-edged sword called the Word of God in, sinners can't get it out. <laughs> they can wish all they want. Boy, I just I wished I didn't know that scripture. Too bad, you know it. It ain't going nowhere. And it'll be the very scriptures that contradict your lifestyle that will keep popping up. That you will say, I wish I could forget I knew it. No, nope, not going to happen. Because once the word goes in, it's like the Roach Motel. It doesn't go back out. Amen? Once they come in, it never goes out. The word will not return void. Let me say it again. The word will not return void. Hear me now. This is why in my house, it was in Israel, if you live in my house, I don't care if you're 95, you're going to get some clothes on and you're going to church. You in my house, you're going to church. Why? Because even if you hate every second of it, even if you say, la, 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 I know the word's going to get in. <laughs> and when the word gets in, it ain't never coming back out. Listen, when you get the word in them, somewhere along the way, it's going to bring fruit, and they're going to start living by the word. Woo! I remember in my sin, I remember, I remember God would ask me, I'm, I'm you know, deep in sin. God would say, you going to heaven? I would say, well, yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was eight. You know, yeah, I think I'm good. But in my mind, but in my heart, I was like, oh, snap. I ain't going to heaven. God would say, you going to heaven? You going to heaven partying like that? You going to heaven funneling eight beers at one time like that? Boop, 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 boop. Really, God? Can I just have a good time if you just leave me alone? I have a pastor friend that testifies. He would be in the bar getting drunk, and he said, I'm telling you, God would pull up a stool right next to me and say, what are you doing doing this? You know I got to call God on your life. When are you going to repent and get right? You know this isn't, you're not happy, you're miserable. Why would you even do this? Be quiet, God. Let me drink my alcohol. I'm just going to get slopper drunk. He said, then God, when he let me get drunk. That's what he said. I mean, he said, I'd drink and drink all night. And I couldn't even get a buzz. He said, it was like God was saying, I'll show you. Is it all right to preach like this? The Bible says when, when the word went in, when the sword went in, watch this. The Bible says the dirt or the refuse came out. When the word goes in, watch this. This is why many people don't want to go to a Bible preaching church. Because when the word goes in, it brings and shines a light on all the dirty, nasty things in your life. And you know what's going to come out? Not the word, but the sin. 
When the, when the word goes in, the sin comes out. My God, I'm going to preach that again. When the word goes in, the sin goes out. When the word goes in, the dirt and the refuse goes out. When the word goes in, the nasty leaves. I want to tell you, preach the word of God. Give scriptures to your family. Don't ever back down preaching what thus says the word of the Lord. Because when the word goes in, the dirt goes out. Pastor, my kid don't want to hear it. I don't care. Give him the scripture anyways. Pastor, my daddy don't want to hear it. Give it to him anyways. Pastor, my neighbor don't want to. I don't care. Give him the word. You may be the underdog, folks. You may have all the chips stacked against you. You may not appear to the enemy or anyone else to be anything. You may be like Ahud. Man, Pastor, you just described me today. Well, Praise God. That means with God, you can still be a deliverer. With God, you can still win your war. With God, the best in me is yet to be. Woo! Hallelujah! You give them the word and it doesn't seem like it's bearing fruit. You're giving the word. This is a prophetic word from the Lord. You are pumping the word in and you say it's doing the opposite. It's going the wrong way. They're not, nothing's happening. I'm telling you, you keep putting the word in. They can't get it out. And the only thing that will come out is the sin and the dirt and the nasty. There will come a day where they will repent. There will come a day where they'll come to Christ. Woo!